0: All right. Hello and welcome to the Doubt Society podcast. I am your host, Riley Morgan, and today I will be talking to Eric Van Evans. Um, Eric is a writer and a YouTube content creator. Uh, He speaks and writes about Christianity, theology, philosophy of religion, psychology, politics, and more. Eric, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Glad to be here.
0: Yeah, so um you are the the brave one um that has been the first believer <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> to be a guest on the podcast that's called Doubt Society. Yeah. So hopefully you take that as an honor. <laughs> that's courageous of
1: me. Yeah, you, you have to you have to give me credit. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So um I think let's see, I, I think we met through James, if who's was the first guest on this, this podcast, um, is that correct? Oh yeah. I think think he was who intertwined us on the, on the web. Um, and I don't know if it was, I can't remember where I first ran into, um, David Bentley Hart, but I had, was reading him at the time. I think that I saw your page and saw you knew who he was. Yeah. And you know, he's, he's not really, he's, you know, I wouldn't say he's obscure, but he's not the most popular author on the planet, right? <laughs>
1: he's definitely not. No, he is. Yeah. I wouldn't say obscure. You're right about that. But um, yeah, his I think his work is quite difficult to read at times. Um, he certainly uses a lot of big words, jawbreakers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, he is a little obscure. Definitely yeah, not like definitely... William Lane Craig. Um, right. You know, those guys
0: yeah yeah you could definitely label him as verbose um yeah, yeah. but yeah so sure. i've been reading his book and uh i think that's that was my first interest and i thought well if this if this guy likes uh david bentley hart he has he's a more than likely a great prospect for the show yeah. so um before we dive in and talk about sure uh david and uh his his works a little bit um kind of the first thing i wanted to do is i like to try to introduce each of the guests that come on the show um, so, and I don't actually know this yet, but, uh, I thought we'd talk a little bit about your, your faith journey or your intellectual journey and whether you were brought up in the church or you, um, became a believer later in life or how that kind of looked. Um, so walk us th- uh, through that if you would.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I would say my family and I really grew up in not an atheistic household, not agnostic, theist, Christian, Catholic, any of that. Uh, It was really never talked about. We were largely just disinterested in it. You know, I remember going to church when I was younger uh, a handful of times, but it was more so to impress my grandmother, who was a devout Catholic. Um, So my parents just kind of said, you know, just go to church. It's a good thing to do. Um, But I certainly was never uh, religious or raised in a religious household at all. Just wasn't talked about. Um, and I would say that persisted for quite a while up until maybe around 15 or 16. I started to really become interested in these profound existential questions. Why am I here? Er, can you
0: pull that mic yeah, up just a bit? For sure. Sorry. Yeah, just, okay. I think we're, we're, our levels are just a little low. You're yeah, coming absolutely. in like 20%. Can you hear me there now? Go. A good? Yeah, maybe just a little bit closer, sure. but we're we're, we're pretty – I'm yeah, just I'm, looking at the levels and it's uh, yeah, it's just now. bouncing a little
1: low. I think that should be good. You sure? Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, wait, where was I? <laughs> uh,
0: you had visited church the, for, for grandma, um, but never was really religious. Uh, yeah, I was never percent. really
1: religious up until, um, well, I still wasn't at 16, 17, but that's the age where these existential questions start to come about. Why do I exist? Um, is there a God? What does it mean to be good? You know, just... Baffled by why we're here. Why does anything exist at all? You know, like Leibniz asked. Um, so I think shortly after that phase, I would say around 18 years old, I was introduced to the new atheists, right? So Hitchens, Dawkins, Harris, Dennett. Um, although I really never read Hitchens um, or Dennett, it was more Dawkins and Harris. And I was pretty convinced by a lot of their points. You know, I thought their points were really strong. Um, certainly the rhetorical strategies that they had, um, their polemics were pretty intense. You know, they were witty. Harris holds a PhD in neuroscience. Dawkins is an evolutionary biologist. So I said, hey, you know, I really trust these guys. This is this has to be true. Christianity's stupid. You know, it's so who could believe this? Who could believe that God exists? You know. With Harris talking about, you know, belief in God, being an imaginary friend, or Dawkins asserting that, you know, it's a flying spaghetti monster. <laughs> or or so, the Tooth Fairy. Or the Tooth Fairy, right. And, right. you know, so I just became pretty convinced by this and said, ah, oh, there's just no point in even entertaining that at all. Uh, it wasn't until around 20 when I discovered people like Nietzsche, Dostoevsky, soren Kierkegaard, Um some contemporaries like Alvin Plantinga, David Bentley Hart, Edward phaser, William Lane Craig. Um, and, you know, I Ed Faser too. Did I mention phaser I don't think I said yeah. Faser. Yeah. Faser, okay, You did. Um, then at that point I started to say, wow, actually really smart people believe this. And the more I kept reading about it and talking with others about it, I became convinced that this is probably true. You know, certainly that God exists. I think it's inductively much stronger that God exists than God not existing. Um, We can't forget ultimately what we're doing is trying to posit the best explanation for all of reality. Right. And at the end of the day, the proposition does God exist is either true or false. It's true or false. Um, And I think the evidence entails theism and uh, yeah, from there I just became really immersed in it and uh, I do consider myself a theist and from there it kind of went on to Christianity. So in a nutshell, that's pretty much my journey.
0: Sure. So yeah. where did you um, where did you end up or um, when it, when you become a theist, what tradition do you sort of like align yourself with a certain tradition now? Um, in, in terms of theism? Old? Yeah. So do you can? Are oh, you set yourself a Christian? Yeah, but right, certainly I classical theism. Classical theism. Okay. So yeah. do you like? Do you attend a church? Do you consider? Do you align more with Catholicism or with Eastern religion? Or I, I Eastern... would say
1: I would say I'm non-denominational, uh, sure. although I do have an affinity for the East, you know, Eastern Christianity. Um, but yeah, non-denominational. I really became a Christian just six months ago, so this oh, wow. is very fresh. You know, I. <laughs> So I don't really – I've been to church a couple times in the past six months, but I'm not really even a part of a church right now. Yeah. Okay. So, so that was a
0: quick turn. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. So it's relatively – It was so recent. Yeah. So how, how old are you now?
1: 25.
0: 25. Yes. Okay. Okay. So it was years um, of
1: really doubting, and I still have profound doubts, of course, um, which is normal, right? If you don't have doubts, something's wrong. You have to have doubts within – anything you believe, you shouldn't really be satisfied with your convictions at all, right? You should always have doubts, right?
0: Yeah, um, yeah. And I think that's probably one of the things with uh, dogmatic faith, at least. Um, for sure. You know, that the beliefs tend to be held like this, which for those who can't see me, I'm just clenching my fists, right? They tend to be held just not only extremely tightly, but they become a part of one's identity. Um, and, and it's very, it can be very difficult to a adjust them but b god forbid you have to change one oh, of them absolutely. or also um yeah so how, so when you say you became a christian did you have a conversion experience um like I, were you baptized did you talk have a conversation with someone what was the kind of walk us through that if you would
1: yeah i w- so i was baptized when i was really like a young like a baby um but it wasn't really i wouldn't really say it was I didn't have any kind of religious experience, so to speak. I just really start to look at the character of of Christ and became just immersed in it. I thought, you know, his teachings are very profound. Um, I think there's good evidence that he existed. Um, You know, the resurrection, even if the resurrection did not really happen, of course that would be a defeater for Christianity, but it still serves its purpose in terms of, uh, psychology you could think of it as like an archetype um in terms of hey we need to resurrect anew every day we need to you know, there needs to be a death we need to shed our old skin and become anew, become gods right so even if the resurrection didn't really happen i still think christianity is a pretty profound um you know paradigm in terms of its understanding of human nature so it just attracts me in a lot of different ways
0: yeah, it Christianity does have that it, it has the the dying and rising, you know, motif um which they feel it is in other places but sure. it, it's it's quite unique I think in in many ways in the Christian tradition and it's most profound I think as well. Um and then you have not only the death and resurrection but also the idea of incarnation um which is kind of in a way this glorification of man um in, in a way Uh, And I was reading yesterday. Someone, I'm not sure if I agree with the statement, but that was the beginning of human rights. Mm. I don't know how how much I believe with that, but the idea that God is man, and then with with the falling of the spirit, that God then dwells human beings, and then you have Paul. Of course, there is no slave, uh, you know, no master. Yeah, I mean, if you look at no man, no woman.
1: Yeah, if you look at pre-Christian cultures, um, there wasn't a particular onus on um, this universal egalitarianism like we all are one under God we all have these these rights that must not be violated we're image bearers of God we're we're special we have dignity there's a really good book by Tom Holland um it's oh it's called Dominion and he kind of this is basically the topic of the book you know studying um how the world was before the coming of Christ so, I, I would really recommend you check that out as well as your followers for a more detailed explanation on that point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, when you say, um, I like what you said about the archetype. Um, mm-hmm. You know, i found with some liberal Christians, um, people that still, uh, you know, use the, uh, they identify with the name Christian, um, but they would classify themselves in a more liberal sense. Uh, they may not believe in a literal res- resurrection but they still believe in the story and they believe in the idea of it. And they think the spirit, so to speak of Christianity is really, uh, enough for them to identify with it and live their life as a Christian. Um, because yeah. they, it resonates so much with them, the, those, these sort of themes and these ideas. Uh, but you said you believe in a literal and you think that's essential to the Christian faith. I literal, mean, I, yeah, literal. I
1: think it is essential. Um, even what Paul says, if, if Christ didn't rise, your faith is in vain, you know, it's it's false. Yeah. If that didn't, if it wasn't actually a historical event that occurred, it is false. I mean, if they found um, a tomb and it said Jesus Christ and his bones were in there and it was identified to be him, um, then what are we to say? You know, he didn't really rise. Yeah. It's, it was just fictitious.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I Do not. I I understand the liberals who adhere to that sort of thing and use Christianity more as like a guiding ideal or guiding principle for life. I understand that, but to me, it really is only worthwhile, at least in immersing yourself with it and identifying with it and living a life as a Christian, if something actually happened. That's my personal opinion, and it was my personal opinion when I was a Christian. Okay. and it still is now um i and, and one of my because i wasn't i didn't immediately go from devout believer to raging heathen i'd you know there was some <laughs> it, it, there was an intermediary yeah. name or youtube channel raging <laughs> heathen. <Nice. laughs> yeah if i was angry it might work um but i i spent a little bit of time in liberal christianity um and to me though I just – I have a harder time – well, it's kind of both ways. I have a hard time respecting it. In some ways, I respect it more. In some ways, I respect it less. I respect it less because I think it just becomes this sort of uh, pick and choose what you want and leave everything else out. And I was a fundamentalist more for the most part, and so I know that's part of just my casting about how I was brought up to understand it. But also it's – I mean to a degree, it's kind of – a I, I I still think it's a – a legitimate point so when i say like pick and choose from the bits and yeah. um, i mean like people believe in a literal resurrection but they don't believe that maybe the god of the old testament did all the things that are recorded there
1: sure. um that's something you know, my so, brother actually says a lot uh, my brother kyle he's really interested in philosophy theology and he mentions that point a lot in fact he says that ex- exact same thing we pick and choose um and that's an interesting point you know, but if you want to expand more on that, I didn't mean to cut you off.
0: No, you're fine. Um, yeah, so I guess I, – I, and we can start talking about, I guess, Hart a little bit here as well um, sure. since he's kind of the, the, the point that brought us together. Uh, when I started reading That All Shall Be Saved, folks, we referenced this earlier. This was his, I believe, most recent book and um, is the best case I have come across for universalism. So universalism, for those who don't know that – that term um that's the idea that in the end all things will be restored to god um, all people will be saved and the universe as a whole will kind of be pulled out of this fallen nature you could say and restored back to an edenic sort of state uh and uh i was first introduced but to this idea actually by here we go i'm gonna I'm gonna drop a name here rob bell so all the all the uh the serious christians are clenching their heart and (laughs) gasping for air right now
1: uh,
0: because he's widely recognized as a heretic i was first introduced to the idea from him in, in his book love wins i think in 2013 and it had a great impression on me it wasn't enough to keep me as a believer but i thought that was a much more cohesive respectable and beautiful view of the faith uh than otherwise um but kind of bringing this back to what i said about the the bit the the bits and pieces sure. uh i you know i have a hard time seeing it in scripture I, uh, you know I, I i've i kind of respected Hart's what he did with that and maybe it has more to do with translation and i should get back into studying my greek but um the sentiment of it and the idea of it i am i greatly appreciate it so uh are you a believer in an actual hell um or you kind of identify with Hart that there? is no hell or what's coming.
1: That's a a good question. I I do. I do identify with heart. Um, I I think that there is a place such as hell um, or an experience. I I don't think we can fully understand the ontology of hell. I think we can understand the psychology of hell very greatly. And I think a lot of us have found ourselves in that Uh, whether we're, you know, immersed in sin, um, you know, just be, envious greedy uh cheating on our partner um just doing all of these horrible things that contribute to a hell we build a hell right and sometimes we walk in heaven we find moments where we are uh doing the right thing right but other times we are just immersed in sin and um slowly over time you might not notice it but it builds gradually 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 and you find yourself in that hell And, um, so I, I don't think it's really, um, I don't think we should look at hell as the ontology. We shouldn't focus on the ontology because we don't know what that would be like. If there really is such a place as hell, um, how would we know what that would be like? Right. The only, the only correct way to talk about it would be the psychology of hell, kind of like C.S. Lewis talks about and many others. So I think that's the most um, important way to speak about hell psychology not ontology
0: yeah yeah i and i think that the christian or the fundamentalist christian counter to that would be well we find out about hell in scripture like we we you know we sure. pull from hell and scripture the, the gnashing of teeth and the yeah you know the separation from god and all these mm-hmm. these sorts of ideas and they're going to start referencing you know the few pieces of uh the few verses that reference gehenna which is you know what we tra- the greek word for what we translate to hell um, or there's also a mention of Hades, and I think one mention of Tartarus as well, um, somewhere yeah. in the epistles. I can't remember exactly I, what it is. I, uh,
1: go ahead. Oh, no, I, I would just—my reply to that would be that the Bible seems pretty ambiguous on, on the notion of hell. I mean, as Hart elucidates throughout his entire book, he gives uh, many, many verses that seem to suggest that there is a universal— Reconciliation with all rational creation. Like you said in the beginning, all creation will be restored in God, right? Um, so I would just argue that they're not looking at the Bible um in in the right fashion, right? Sure. I mean, even and... the original Greek and whatnot, you know, you can't just you really have to investigate this, right? And from my studies of people like Hart, it seems pretty ambiguous. It does not seem absolutely clear that everyone goes to hell for eternity <laughs> um so yeah that would be my reply yeah. to the fundamentalists.
0: yeah and i think a lot of people the funny thing about fundamentalist is well first of all it's fairly new technically speaking in terms of how long it's been around at least that specific type of fundamentalist and the goal was to return us to kind of what the early christians believed that was supposed to be you know the goal but if you read some of the early christians people that heart references You know, like there's some of the early church fathers or the Cappadocian fathers or these other people, Gregory of Nyssa, Origen. You start getting a picture of hell that doesn't look like what people think. You know, the the fundamentalists have this idea that if they could just drop in to uh, the day of Pentecost, that they, that everything would look, uh, everything would be uniform because Jesus had just been there and he had just told everyone what to believe. And sure, you had the squabbles, but that Paul was trying to sort out with these letters everywhere. But it would be, you know, just this beautiful symbiotic sort of uh, everything's woven together tightly, and this is what we believe. Um, whereas, in fact, if you actually read the New Testament, uh, you know, you have disagreements within the New Testament. Oh, Your yeah, um, sure. heart points out yeah. uh, you have a, a wide, ever-growing array of disagreements once you get out of the New Testament and start reading, uh, you know anything that's uh, non-canonical or the early Mm. church fathers, the, you know, the patristic fathers. And, you know, that's why Bar Ehrman would say he doesn't speak about early Christianity. He speaks about early Christianities. It's Mm. plural. That's interesting. And I I think that's a, a a wonderful Mm. point because yeah, there were so many competing views and one does not have Mm. to be a fundamentalist to be a Christian. Um, And so I, but I thought this the, so for me, when I, when I uh, began having my own doubts, it began for me with hell. Um, Not, not because I hadn't thought about hell or I didn't know what hell was. Um, I I was raised not only going to church multiple times a week, but doing my own Bible studies and being quite, quite serious about it my whole life. Um, It was just, I think part of it was when you actually go to put your life to stand upon something that is going to be the foundation of your life. So like i said, before we started recording, I was on track to be a pastor. That's what I was at school for. Um, then I think you really, you are able to look at your beliefs in a new light that you couldn't have in the past because you're really stepping out and acting on those things. And for me, hell was one of the first pillars to go that really made me start doubting the veracity of faith. And I played around Absolutely. with ideas like annihilationism or yeah, um universalism like i read edward fudge i have sitting over here and uh, you know i read some bell and uh, to me though i i i I didn't i never found anyone in the liberal christianity phase at that point in my life that i really felt uh, was being entirely honest not that they were being intentionally dishonest but were were i just none of it seemed very believable to me i was just like you would kind of get bits and pieces, and they'd be like, "Oh, but the Old Testament," and you know they kind of skirt <laughs> yeah. around that. And I, it, times... to me, it just. Go ahead. Oh, go I, ahead. You can finish, man.
1: I would
0: For say sure. to me, it just yeah. seems like those pillars are necessary. I think in a lot of ways. And you said, you know, you hold a lot of doubts, in, and uh yeah, absolutely. You know, to me, those doubts eventually ate away at everything. There was so many doubts that there wasn't enough left to truly be like. This is a real working worldview. It's something I can remain in. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, every time I would have to say anything, it would have to be an asterisk next to him, which I would then explain by what I mean to that,
1: or you know. So yeah, um, absolutely. Talk
0: to me about kind of your 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 own doubts and yeah, it, I,
1: you know. For sure. I mean, I first of yeah. all, I totally agree with you in this, this notion of hell. I mean, just the idea that there is a place where God's rational creation goes forever. With no way out, is is heinous and seems just like a logical absurdity. Um, you know, if if God is the bedrock of all that is, and He created life out of predilective love, biased love, right? Um, because if you think about it, there was a time in the universe where there were no thoughts, sensations, minds, nothing, right? And then this comes rushing onto the scene, right? Um, you have to ask yourself, how could God construct a state of affairs where this creation may go to a place where they last there forever? <laughs> and, and there's absolutely no way out. I mean, you know, that just to me seems false on the face. There's no room for moral improvement, right? Any kind of meaningful punishment would be to improve in some fashion. So if God just locks us away, in this dark place forever and we say, Hey, I made a mistake. You know, I'm a finite creature. I confused by maybe religious pluralism. I I just don't know if you exist or not. I'm just confused. And he's going to say, well, uh, you know, your tickets up, have fun. I mean, That seems heinous to me. And I just, I think it's not, I don't think it's defensible at all. I cannot, I cannot find a defense for that. How I could sit here and say, well, this is why conscious eternal torment is okay so that's why Hart's yeah. book you know appeals to me so much because i think he just really really elucidates this so yeah. so clearly
0: <laughs> he says specifically
1: um
0: there is no finite no finite being is capable of racking up a weight of sins no. that can be laid he says like laid across the scale um, we're thinking of a justice scale here right. laid across the scale that would evenly distribute like the two scales. You know, there's no amount of there's... finite sin that could be, you know, and and this is, you know the, and I think that's in a, a fantastic point. And not only that, but what you said about punishment, you know, punishment, there's a difference between vindictive punishment and punishment that is met out on an individual in order that they may be restored or may learn in some way. It's Absolutely. It's supposed to be. And so that's why people say it's the fires that, that purify. It's this purification by fire. Like Paul says, yeah. Right. 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 So you have this idea that this is a place where you go almost pur- purgatorial. In sense purgatorial. That, that's what I was going to yeah. say, too. That
1: seems like the only just form of punishment. Purgatory. Yeah. You learn from yeah. your mistakes. You eventually advance to a change of heart and you grow infinitely with god um again the notion that you're trapped away with no escape even if you say i no no i I want to change i'm changed i just i missed the ticket the fact that god will say no and hart also makes a really good point where he says you will only begin to ever suffer because if hell is infinite you're only beginning to suffer Right. So you could be in hell for 900 billion years and you've only just begun. That point in the book was so powerful to me. And to really think that through, to think through the implications of that, if that's the God that constructed this cosmos that brought us into, sorry, that brought us into being, um, how could that God be worthy of worship? How could we not question his moral character? I mean that's it, it's just it's sinister
0: to me. Yeah, this is the same point David
1: yeah. Billinghart's Hart's older brother has made as
0: well. Addison. I was just listening to a, a yeah, yeah. yeah, I was just listening to a video right. of him saying almost word for word the same thing, and <laughs> you know this is this idea that you know people don't. This is why he writes one of the best things he writes in this book is that people believe they believe in hell.
1: Oh, I specifically know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah.
0: And he says they believe they believe in hell, but they don't actually believe it. They don't it. actually believe and it. I completely yeah. agree with that. Like my totally. parents, I adore my parents. My parents are some of the most loving people on earth. There is no way my mother believes in hell. She may believe she believes in hell,
1: <laughs> but yeah. there
0: is – there's not that capacity for what I think no. an individual – the the how much just – and it's just part of this submission to god and god is sovereign and if he said it that's what goes like you know you have got to be more in touch with your own moral capacity yeah if that does not bother you something is wrong with you you have deflated your own moral uh you know capacity by such a a great deal such such a a great value that i I just i don't understand how we are the same two like we are both human beings talking to each other and so that is one of the best points he made and it's true. Like how how could how could you know this this eternity of just constant constant,
1: constant pain and like you said like
0: too. conscious yes e- eternal You're aware conscious of torment that, forever
1: yes and, and, and like and, you said
0: it never ends
1: yeah and Riley the really important point is just you and I in our finite love our finite knowledge talking about this and showing such moral concern should really speak volumes when we're talking about a being that is beyond all measure so there's an argument too that if he if hell is really eternal how could god expunge that from his mind right how could he know that his creation is in hell that he created his rational creation that he supposedly loves more than anything and carry on with that right i think that's a really interesting point
0: that is an interesting line of thought Yeah, yeah i i i think it also it's the same argument that in the end god really doesn't win people act like this is a evangelion right this is a good news and yeah. the truth is is that no god set this in motion supposedly knowing what was going to happen and it looks like to me that satan or the dark forces or whatever you want to call them you know that he won cuz he took the vast majority of human beings with him on his rebellious course forever what sort of victory is that like i thought god was That's a great point is god not the ultimate victor it, it's, does he point. not have the power over his creation
1: and riley i agree with you god is not god at the end of the day if he cannot save all and restore this broken creation that we find ourselves in so if there is no ultimate cosmic restoration this rescue this dragging towards god then you're right he it seems as if he's been defeated Yes. You know, yeah, uh, it, I, I, it, yeah. I just, I cannot map it on in any logical way to my mind, you know, and there are many hopeful universalists. I, I've talked with Michael Jones a lot from Sparring Philosophy, and although he wouldn't call himself a universalist, he says, I'm a hopeful universalist. It's probably not the case that there's an eternal hell, but just the notion that we have to say there might be is is problematic it's i'm ho- i'm hopeful that god is not yeah, a moral monster like, I'm hopeful that <laughs> that's he that's might, what i hear in my brain <laughs> like i'm hopeful that he may let my aunt out of hell eventually maybe like a million years um you know she just is a wonderful person um she just isn't sure L- literally i'm speaking about my aunt she isn't a believer she just says i don't know like there's just so many religions i'm just not sure and she's going to be Away in darkness for eternity with no escape. I mean, it simply cannot be true if there really is this infinitely loving God. It's, it's just a yeah. logical absurdity. I,
0: I completely agree. And when you start talking about things as complex as people's IQ and their ability to understand complex thought, and not only that, but their experience. We talked earlier about experiencing hell on earth, and there are people who have experienced a type of life on this earth that I will never. Be able to imagine or to to feel in any degree because of my own privileged life and you know, happen to be born in the United States and born to kind parents and a kind family. And how can you look at one of these people, you know, these people who have just been brutalized for the course of their childhood by people that are supposed to love them, and then go into adulthood and live their life just just in a dismal state. And then this person's reward after all of this, you know, maybe they just think maybe there's angry at God. They're angry at this idea of God, only you know, that they've, you know, the, the American God that they've grown up with, or even the European God. And they don't want anything to do with him, and they live their life in mostly misery and die. You're telling me that that individual is then relegated to eternal conscious torment. Yeah. Like, don't waste I mean, my time.
1: I know. Yeah, no, I agree. And I certainly do not think that's the case. I hope it's not the case. Um, like right. I said, I think that scripture is ambiguous about it and maybe, maybe it's okay that it's ambiguous about it. Um, you know, if they, if scripture flat out said, no, you're all saved, don't worry, do whatever you want. Start wars. You can rape people. You can kill people. You'll all be saved. Don't worry about it. I mean, that could have awful consequences. I mean, look how monstrously evil the world is, even with the notion that there is this ultimate evil. Arbiter of the cosmos that is going to judge you for your actions in this life, and you might go to hell. <laughs> L- yeah. Look at the look at the evil in the world still. So maybe there's some kind of you know merit to that Im- ambiguity. Yeah. And Michael and I talked about this, so I mean that's so the best push... I can really do. You know.
0: Yeah, I'll I'll push back on this a little bit sure. um, here from my because uh, here I am talking about Christianity and still uh, still remain the atheist that I am. Um, so. <laughs> The, one of the things when I wrote a re- the review about that all shall be saved, and I, I try to read a lot, and I don't always get the urge to write a review about something or a piece about it, but I did when I read this because it was the most lucid – you could call it a takedown – the most lucid uh, deconstruction of the traditional hell I had ever come across. I had never read a better atheist, agnostic, non-believer, whatever critique of hell, eternal conscious torment, than I read in heart. And I said, I have to, I I'm going to have to jot down some thoughts. And one of my critiques of heart and upon reading him more, I could, I could adjust this a little bit, but isn't that, we would never write anything if we had to <laughs> constantly refer, you know, adjust it to our future thoughts. But one of my critiques of him was that, why is it that we have this God who is all loving and he supposedly, If we're a theist and not just a deist, we have this idea that he communicates with us, with his people. Why is it that in the Bible, it is so unbelievably vague, the idea of universal salvation, that the vast majority of Christians, almost the entire majority of Christians in the West, have believed that the idea of eternal conscious torment is what the bible teaches if you're the most if you're pure love if you are the best if you created communication surely you could have explicitly stated these sort of things and now i'm getting into sort of divine inspiration and i don't think i don't think bentley hart upon reading him more probably believes in divine inspiration the same way a fundamentalist does and the idea that what paul wrote is literally the the breath of god the words of god Mm -hmm. but if it was and even if it's not that even if it's still just i don't know some sort of inspired way why is it that god would get that wrong like why is it that that's not clear so I'll, I'll, that's
1: what all yeah yeah no, that's a good point now i, I do want to ask okay get what wrong
0: would, so w- why would he make it why would the bible or the new testament be so vague as to allow for this sort of grievous yeah. uh misinterpretation because his point is that paul has been misinterpreted right that's what um, i was
1: going to say as well he does argue that these are misinterpretations i mean that seems to be his only argument <laughs> they're misinterpreting scripture. Um, but you know, you make a really good point there and, you know, it's difficult to answer the, the way I kind of go about it is the Bible was still written by human beings, right? And these are still flawed human beings. Uh, so we, we must not forget that. Right. Um, now perhaps this is the way God chose to communicate through human beings. Um, are, it's a, it's a difficult question to answer. It's something I wrestle with a lot too. Why not make it crystal clear? You know, why not just be completely clear about this? Um, you know, I do think there's yeah. some merit in religious doubt. Um, wondering, maybe it's not as clear, but it, it's still a good question that is worthy of you know, concern.
0: Yeah, so to me, this is one of the lines of thought that was one of the lines of doubt, I guess you could say. Um, and there were many more, uh, but this was one of them that <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't reconcile in any real sense. Um, and this is just, you know, similar to the old Testament. Like we have this new Testament that presents a fairly, you know, a lot of beautiful motifs. We mm-hmm. talked about those earlier, um, incarnation, dying and rising, these sort of things. But in the old Testament, I mean, you have this capricious character, who is jealous and who makes decisions? Who can his mind can be changed? Um, who commits yep. genocide? Who condones slavery? Um, you know, instructs how much to beat your individuals. You know, when they go and take the land away uh, from you know another people, he specifically says, "Kill all the people, but keep the young women for yourself." Yeah, I I, uh, I don't think I need to elaborate on that. No, you're right, and yeah. it's so. T- so to me to me I, I I I get to stuff like that too, and I'm like, when liberal when I, any type of liberal Christianity, I know that's a vague term, but any type of Christianity that's not fundamentalist or traditional, like Anglic, you know, just like I, I I don't like again. This is supposed to be inspired. This is supposed to be this. To me, yeah, I just see it as what it is: human beings thinking about God and the evolution of that sure. over time. Yeah. I don't see any sort of God talk you know what i mean i don't know so what what are your, i guess what are your kind of no, for about? sure I, I
1: think the old testament use a lot uses a lot of hyperbole like you know go and kill them and slaughter them all and then if you read a few pages later in the context it says things like they were not all slaughtered or you know we say that we're, we're going to kill the pittsburgh penguins tonight the flyers play the penguins tonight big flyers fan we're not actually going oh, okay. to kill them um you know and, and something else i would note too is that there's a really good book by paul copin is God a Moral Monster? Have you ever heard of that? Uh, Do you have it? I don't know if you've read it.
0: <laughs> I might. I have a book similar to that. Um, I, I know he, that book, though. Yeah, I might yeah, have it on my Yeah, he kind of defends...
1: He, he unpacks Old Testament ethics and, and the context of that. Um, you brought up one thing. I think it was before the women. Keep the women... Con, uh, condoning of Slavery? Yeah, I, I would... He argues about that too, that we shouldn't think of slavery as antebellum slavery in the South. Um, you know, it's, right. It, it's, it's somewhat different. Yeah, it it's is to a degree different. different but but it doesn't can... it doesn't eliminate your point that why is this so it just doesn't seem divinely inspired. It, it does seem written by primitive human beings that were maybe really angry at the world and, you know, pissed off and resentful. I, I, I agree with that. I cannot necessarily deny that
0: and i i don't necessarily think they were angry i i have a great appreciation for the pentateuch and and for the rest of the old testament as you say or the jewish scriptures um these were the first people or one of the first people at least i mean there obviously some plagiarism there with some of the stories but to really create this narrative of this idea of god and a, a one god that communicates with us and that wants some sort of relationship with us and I have a great appreciation for that tradition, and for not only that, but for the literature that's found within. I mean, how can you not appreciate Job or appreciate Ecclesiastes? Oh, yeah, I mean, these are sure. unbelievable works. So I, I, I have agree. a great respect for it, and a great—I have a great admiration for what they did. To me, it loses that though when someone comes along and says, "This is God's inspired word, and God condoned this, and God did this." Yeah. Um, but then you also want to then do what. Uh, most theists would do which then say god is love or god is you know from you know it's just uh, to me it's just i don't it, it spoils it then it's just <laughs> it just
1: yeah. becomes rotten yeah i mean no I, I definitely think you you have a good point there um but yeah I, so I, I do have a question for you real quick do you does this affect what, what do you think about theism in general um say christianity is just out of the picture what do you sure. think of just theism in general?
0: Like
1: so theism, theism,
0: yeah. So classical theism, and I, I have been, we've been talking about this before the podcast as well. You know, I've been reading Hart's um, book, The Experience of God, Being Consciousness and Bliss. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm at the being, so I'm about a third, halfway, about a third of the way through. And uh, it's not my first encounter with yeah. classical theism, uh, but it's it, it, it's it's quite good. And I... I like it, but – and I don't – I really don't have a problem with that sort of God. I should specify it. So deism. I don't really have a problem with deism, which is the idea that there is like some sort of – and I know if you read this book, he's going to – Hart plays with those words a lot, but I have to somewhat speak in generalities here. But I don't have this problem with this idea of some sort of force that is the ground of being or that is the uncaused cause right um i know heart doesn't like that phrasing or <laughs> that is the infinite source of actuality that exists right. and props up all things and puts actuality into all of us at all moments at all times uh i i i like that and i appreciate that and i do think deductively he does a really really good job of saying this is a real possibility oh yeah and sure. i think that's great but I, I, I this is where the freight the words come into the, he uses theism for this to me though theism and he, he i know he's gonna talk about this later in the book and i've heard him speak uh, you know online and he talks about this and that also be shaved but theism implies that god is talking to us in some way god is this interactive force Right. Not a person in heart sense. Some people would say a person yeah, you know, right, that we can but... interact with, or like Christians would say, we can have a relationship <laughs> with, he can live in our heart. <laughs> you know, if you really want to use some of the worse, uh, ways to phrase it. Uh, and that is where I, I just don't think you, I, I don't think that can be, um, shown in such a way that would make any of the, the theistic traditions. Um,
1: yeah. Believable. And to Hart, so, that
0: doesn't seem to be important, though. He seems to think that a good Muslim will end up in the same place as a good Christian as long as they are oriented towards God. Well, that's
1: what I think, too. That's what I, you know, and Hart says this somewhere where, you know, we have to remember that this is ultimately, we shouldn't look at religion as a closed system of thought. Uh, this is the collective human experience verging towards that of the infinite, right? Um, so, no, I totally agree with Hart. I, I don't think if you're a Muslim and you just have, again, doubts, <laughs> you're, you're uh, consigned to an eternity in hell. I think everyone eventually will be restored and, and find the ultimate truth. Um, but, yeah, I mean, in terms of theism, I think Hart makes great points as well. I think his arguments are very strong. Uh, I also think you can perhaps construct like a metaphysical demonstration of God's love right? And a lot of the monotheistic religions agree with this, Christianity is the only one where God reveals himself, as we're told. Um, but just the act of creation itself, you know, if God really is the infinite wellspring of all that is, he has always existed. Why choose to add conscious creatures into the cosmos? You know, we're merely contingent, um, participatory creatures. Why are we participating at all? You know, um, and I think that's, I think that's very interesting that even if God hasn't revealed himself, you know, Christianity is smallest, I still think we could have something to stand on that say God, you know, God may have an interest in his creatures. Uh, the fact that we're here at all, you know, if we can demonstrate that God indeed does exist. So like even that deistic conception of God, that would be problematic, of course, because under deism, God creates and he's like the deadbeat dad, to use Spacer's words. <laughs> he just leaves. He's not here anymore.
0: So if right. deism
1: is true, then uh, that's doesn't seem like a good God. Like, I'll create you guys, but screw you. I'm, I'm gone. I'm out of the picture. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and but so I, I think there's a lot of problems with deism too. Um, I think yeah, like, I, I agree with Aquinas that there needs to be some kind of sustaining hierarchical, not linear, back back in time, right now, hierarchical series of causation that keeps this afloat. You know? Sure. So...
0: Yeah, so I my I guess my response to that would be that when when again we draw back religion to this grand picture, like heart's picture where if you're a good Muslim you go to heaven or you're a good Christian you go to heaven. Um to me I understand that with if you just go all the way back to deism maybe you lose the eternal living in eternal bliss or the afterlife oh, part. For sure. But yeah. to me there's not there's not enough there for me to really care like in the sense that can, not to, not really that's a bad way can to ask it. you a it's question th- th- yeah
1: what would be enough i always so ask what AD would be enough things. what would be yeah what would be enough well, for you to say yeah i'm not that's I don't enough mean, there
0: <laughs> yeah i don't mean evidence-wise right here what <laughs> okay. i mean is that when i when i mean is that okay so let's say we all go to heaven and and heaven's great, whatever it is, it's actually pretty cool. It's not just worshiping the dear leader from dawn to dusk, as Hitchens would <laughs> Hitchens, say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not just this celestial North Korea. Again, Hitchens, um, I'm <laughs> I, I, I'm pulling these from him. Yeah. Um, it is this. It is actually some way, somehow, a place where we can go. And there's Christian work on this, where we still live in a real sense, and we still struggle in a real sense. Because to me, I don't want to go experience eternal bliss the only thing in my life that's ever made given me anything and maybe I see this from a position of privilege in some way but that sure. is that I like pain and growth and music and music based on pain and all these things that's all part of the human experience and I, I would not give that up for utopian for yeah, utopia I see and so I, I guess when I get when I see this grand picture and, and heart kind of paints this or whatever I'm like okay cool but here's the deal here's the deal that's never where it stops it maybe with heart it stops but clearly heart is the anomaly here for the majority of christian history including people he he talks about like aquinas and augustine and these other folks it doesn't end there it then goes to the the dogmas And it goes to the individual specific things in the incarnation and it actually happened and this actually happened and this is how you should pray and this is how you should have sex and in what position and this is what (laughs) you should eat. Again, a Hitchens uh, phrase. This is what you should eat and this is how you should live. And it loses. It becomes dogmatic. It becomes a religion. It becomes something that I think corrupts us as human beings in a sense of where we just it, it, it loses the truth in it the truth and sure. the beauty. so i guess i, I yeah. guess that's my thing is i don't I, to go any further than that it doesn't seem possible to me logically mm-hmm. there's no I, I, there's just not enough evidence for it but to go that far to me really just doesn't i'm like okay so there's a god and no matter what religion you are if you try to be a good person you go to heaven okay yeah. that's not but that's i think we should be
1: careful too i don't think disagreement entails um falsity so to speak you know what I mean? Ultimately, there's human beings are interpreting these things. There's going to be profound disagreement, but I still think that, like I said before, with we shouldn't look at religion as a closed system. It's the human experience verging towards that of the infinite. It's still there. It's still kind of intact. We're all orienting our will towards the same thing, so to speak, whether we're atheist or theists. We're still seeking truth, but we can still disagree, but that would negate the potential um you know veracity of what we're trying to discover yeah
0: That's, and i yeah. i i like that i i it's just so i i'll, I'll appeal to someone you you probably know here did so harris writes in the end of faith um he spends a lot of time explaining why liberal religion <coughs> is not like much of a step up from fundamentalism because it enables fundamentalism hmm. and so uh, to a degree like i respect Hart, i respect his beliefs i so far in the you know in the book and in reading this one i, I really don't have a lot of you know a lot of qualms with him yeah. as a person uh you know it's just like okay it seems like a pretty pretty good way to you're you're based in reason you're thinking about these things clearly he is clearly more in touch with his moral compass than the vast majority of theists I've read in the past and the most people you just meet on the street atheists you know, for sure. Uh, I mean whatever hint whatever. So it's it, it, but it just doesn't seem to end there. You know, what I think Hart right. and I have more in common than he has in with, you know, a fundamentalist Muslim or even a fundamentalist Christian. I agree.
1: And Hart even says that. I, I forget where he says he does. it, but he says I have more respect for certain brands of atheism than Christian fundamentalism, you know? Yeah. Um and that's the way I feel too. I mean ultimately I, I do understand your your points that there is this, there's a lot of disagreement, you know, there's confusion about certain things. Um, For me, I just look, first of all, I I think that it's inductively stronger. As I said, that God exists. I think that God does exist. I think that's more likely than not. Um, And then I just focus on the character of Jesus, right? Him, himself, his teachings. Um, I I think that's very important. Uh, So, you know, all, all the other stuff, while it's important, um, you're right, we can run into dogmas, this profound disagreement, religious pluralism, and we should attack that. but if we argue for theism first and then we look at the character of Jesus, I think we're in a, a good a good realm here. you know, that's kind of my yeah. approach. Yeah,
0: I yeah, yeah, and I luckily, I think just you know talking to you and knowing to you, it might not. It, it doesn't progress to the you know it doesn't metastasize <laughs> to use a medical term and become this sort of cancerous horrible uh dogmatic you know faith that it seems yeah. to end up in so mm-hmm. i yeah i to, to me it's just um i i just you know i at this point at this kind of you know it's not even i almost can't even call it a faith anymore mm-hmm. because even if you don't have a faith as long as you're what do we say will is oriented broadly towards good and towards being a decent person you'll end up you know spending less time in purgatory or get to heaven faster than a christian who had spent their life threatening hellfire on homosexuals maybe or whatever you know what have you and so it just to me and maybe this is because i grew up a fundamentalist it just all falls apart without some of those you know it's it's, it's, because if if it if christ didn't die and like you said resurrect it, the faith is vain it, it's, well it's according, yeah. according to heart it doesn't matter because if you're a muslim you know if you're a muslim or whatever you're going to end up at the same place anyways if you're
1: a good muslim so that's a good to point. me, then yeah
0: so yeah, that, see, but i mean i'm like
1: does I, he does so, he, where does he say that exactly though do you know where or, I like well, did he say I, no, I, I don't know the context of it
0: right and i should be i should be up front i'm not a heart expert i've just you know i'm only halfway through that book yeah. and i've read this one and yeah. and so but the the general sense I'm getting from him and from watching him online as well, um, I've got a good few uh, you know hours watching, I think, a lot of, if not most of his content that's available. Um, and so these are the ideas that I am with. And he yeah, sure. very well could come on here and have his own opinions and what yeah. he actually thinks. And I'm sure I'm misrepresenting him in some case. but I speak of heart and those like him who have these kind of ideas That Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. If you are... I was just yeah, curious if, if you had the book or where he, he said that. Well, in, in, he does talk about... Um, I don't know if it's in there, but one... He does. I have heard him speak about, like, you know, I think it is in the the, the experience of God where he talks about, you know, a good okay. Muslim would. I can't remember exactly. What? I'm simultaneously reading a book uh, <laughs> that was also about Islam. Yeah. <laughs> at the yeah same time I, actually, I, I read but, a
1: lot too. It gets confusing at times. I'm like, what am I reading today? You know?
0: But if, let's just say, regardless yeah. of heart, if it is the case that a good Muslim, a person who's, or even a good atheist, I try to be a decent person, let's just say that I end up in this. You know, I end up where – the same place that you end up or the same place that my mom, a devout evangelical, ends up and at the same pace. To me then is not Paul's statement, if Christ has not died, this is all in vain. Is that not it, – because it, it's actually, I guess – Yeah, know, that's a good point. I I, mean, well, I, I guess the yeah. – resp- I'm sorry. To answer my own question, I guess the Christian response would be, well, Christ did die. The Christian universalist response would be, Christ did die, so his saving power saves you regardless – if not, but to me, if it didn't happen, right, right. I don't know. That's, I'm that, going in circles. <laughs> no, it's okay. I mean,
1: that's a really good point. That's probably what they would say that Christ just, you know, is the uh, the hero, so to speak. That he set the example, you know, to restore creation, and you can choose to follow him, and maybe you'll be in heaven while you're here on earth. You can try to avoid hell, like we talked about earlier. Right. Uh, it's just to me, it's utterly irrelevant to think about the ontology of hell, what that might be like. I think we should strictly focus on the psychology of hell. Um, but yeah, I mean, would a good Muslim end up in heaven? I mean, <laughs> just asking that question makes me uncomfortable. I mean, I think, of course, you know, <laughs> uh, it, again, we if, if God exists, we are all his creation. We're all his rational creation. He wanted us to be here, to participate in the cosmos, to add, um, you know, flavor and color within the cosmos and you know if if heaven really does exist we will infinitely grow and uh, but again what that will be like i I have no idea you know but yeah i I think ultimately purgatory is the only morally permissible state of affairs you know even annihilationism which we haven't really touched upon yet is it's a little bit better than eternal conscious torment (laughs) like maybe someone becomes so depraved that eventually they just, you know, fizzle out of existence. But even that, couldn't God still work so hard to save them? I mean, (laughs) why does God create a state of affairs where rational creation fizzles out of existence? But again, if we have free will, we have an identity, we can choose that. We can choose to say, no, I want nothing to do with God. How How that would look for eternity? I don't know. Maybe that'd be really bad. But it's certainly better than eternal conscious torment but ultimately this kind of purgatory this as my friend david armstrong said cosmic rehab (laughs) cosmic yeah cosmic rehab (laughs) uh it's good is the most morally permissible and logically coherent um state of affairs so
0: yeah yeah so so let's see. So I will uh, – we talked about the new atheists a little bit. Let me bring them back up again and tell you why you're completely wrong, Eric. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you. Let me give you my let me me no, my. Let me give you my two cents, and I, I talked to James about this recently too. Sure. About my – let me raise my shield and my sword about the new atheists, yeah. uh, specifically Hedge, do what you want with Dennett. I have no qualms there. <laughs> Dawkins, I could live without. I like Harris. I like um, Harris too. He's my favorite yeah. out of all of
1: them. I, I do like He's,
0: him. I really like Harris, especially what he's still doing to this day, his work, um, which is, you know, he talks about religion, but it's only part of what he discusses. Um, All this to say, my defense of new atheism uh, lies—because Hart kind of comes gunning for them—but he also almost, I don't know, attacks his own argument because he, like you have said, he says he has— almost more in common with some of these morally attuned atheists than he would in a fundamentalist christian and he but he says you know hey, hey these people aren't attacking the god of philosophy or they're not ta- atta- you know they don't really address classical theism they're no. just talking they're missing the point point. and i mm. agree with that but here's why that doesn't that is not the overarching why that's not that big of a deal because as Hart would say that is not the God that the vast majority of people I would say uh believe in. they don't believe in this sort of god of philosophy. they believe True. in a God just like the one that Sam and and Christopher and the rest pick at. And so while I don't think they're great yeah arguing it's classical theism, I do find their arguments against the God that I believe you know I, I would say I believed in and that every everyone of my family believes in. And that, I would say, the ninety percent of American Christians, and probably eighty-five percent of European Christians, and probably everyone in sub-Saharan, you know, in Africa, the vast yeah. majority of Christians <laughs> will have this sort of idea of God. Is what I'm trying to say. No, I agree. And the new, so that's where I think I say, you know, they Hitchens was arguing about things like circumcision and about yeah. other, you know, yeah. other sort of. He's not talking about God as being or whatever, but that's not like we said earlier. Like I don't really have a qualms with that you really what, what how can you hate somebody who says oh really everybody's going to go to heaven whatever that means yeah. and god is love
1: right okay well yeah. great
0: we could sit around the campfire i'll get my guitar like it's <laughs> we're good <laughs> yeah. but it's that's that's i think what the new atheists um were there for and not only that but just a resurgence of saying you know hey you're not going to push you're not going to subject you know subjugate and mistreat people who are non-believers which is still a real problem i mean just as christians are persecuted around the world um in many countries non-believers are also i mean you can be killed for apostasy still to this day in in, in, you know numerous countries and so um to me that's why i see them as necessary so what is your what's kind of your your thoughts on that
1: yeah i mean i i think first of all you're you're right our conception of god you don't just walk up to an average person on the street and say uh hey do you believe in god what do you think about it and they say well uh you know i'm really into aristotelian metaphysics and god is uh <laughs> he's simple he's not composite and um everything flows he's the infinite wellspring of being <laughs> you know they're yeah, not that's saying not that. what you hear <laughs> yeah so i agree with that i although i still think the new atheist even like someone like dawkins if you read the god delusion he greatly misrepresents aquinas uh you know even he devotes two or three pages to some of the most rigorous arguments ever made for God's existence and straw man's. Sure. You know, so, um, but you're, you're right. I think, I think they serve a purpose in terms of trying to fight against that, uh, you know, dogmatic fundamentalism, that pernicious fundamentalism. Uh, You mentioned circumcision, this kind of primitive barbarism. And I think that should be pointed out. Right. Um, But in other areas too, there, uh, you know, a lot of critiques I have is their own is on scientism, like science is the only way to truth. Dawkins will say, no, science as in, you know, God cannot be answered through science. Well, he doesn't exist. He probably doesn't exist, right? <laughs> yeah. And what they don't understand, Dawkins himself has to assume all kinds of philosophical presuppositions before he even begins to do science. Whether there's an external world outside of his mind, whether his cognitive faculties are functioning properly, whether truth is a real thing logic whether numbers exist whether there is uniformity in nature discoverable order in nature so he assumes all of these things you see what i'm saying
0: yeah yeah, yeah he definitely assumes a sort of i think especially with dawkins there's this assumption of materialism or of naturalism yeah. Um, yeah. you could say science um, is the
1: only way there is no other yeah. way. but what they don't understand is that the question of god god's existence is not a scientific question no science could not answer that, even if we get to the very end of reality and we understand all the physical arrangements of X, Y, and Z. We still science cannot answer why there is anything at all. This is purely yeah. a philosophical question, and yeah. I don't think he understands that. Maybe he does. I, I might be missing yeah, something.
0: And again, like you said before, like he spends three pages on this, but also the or book is not a book, I, yeah, yeah, it's not a book like that. that you know, the title of it, though, and this is where I push back against, you know, Hart's bill. The title isn't an, a, a philosophical deconstruction of Aquinas's yeah. five proofs. You know, I mean, it's 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 part of the book. So it's I, the God I, delusion. And that doesn't mean, yeah, yeah it, it doesn't mean he should misrepresent,
1: misrepre- you know, even though that is a strong claim to make, too, that this is a, he's this saying is a this is a delusion. <laughs> yeah. You
0: well, know, and again, that's... you know, you have this idea of, and there's part of this, this is just true, right? You know, there are religious experiences that were delusions i mean it's either you know you know some of this is tradition that's just brought yeah. up but there have been delusions that have been made in religion and people then believe like muhammad he might have been delusional that's <laughs> true
1: but in terms of psychiatry the proper definition of delusion is a persistent false belief in the face of strong contrary evidence um so you i mean you could use delusion in different ways but that is the from from what i know the correct term and dawkins is basically saying that people like me uh David Bentley Hart, Plantego, you know, we're yeah. all we're, we're believing in something false in the face of strong contrary evidence, and I, I don't see that's the case at all. I think there is a lot of evidence for theism for Christianity, yeah. and I think there's a lot of evidence also for atheism. Even I had Joe Schmidt on my channel. He's a pretty well-known agnostic, and he says, "Yeah, there's good arguments for God. There's also really bad arguments." Or, I'm sorry. There's good evidence for God. There's also good evidence against God, right? So yeah. for Dawkins to even say that is just disingenuous. It just—it's not. Yeah, it doesn't I mean, it its, much it's sense. part of. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's part, part of the language. It's part too. of the rhetoric as well.
0: It's part of the, but it's part of the language too. When he says like believers, like you know, you technically do fall into that category, and so does Hart. But again, like you know, you're not the typical guy in a pew, let <laughs> on Sunday morning, who believes yeah. that you know. Mm-hmm. The, the Bible condemns homosexuality, and that has right. his, you know, his eschatology is post-millennial or premillennial, or and he is, you know, the, the that's the sort of I think believer that Dawkins is gunning towards, and sure, yeah. in a way you could argue that like you can you can't disprove God, you can't disprove this ground of being, no. but you know if you if we had the evidence, if we had a time machine and we could go back in time, let's say science figures out how to use wormholes and we can go back in time to Golgatha. And we can see if the resurrection took place. If the resurrection didn't take place, you know, we have disproved, we've not disproved God, but we've disproved something that is, you know, part of this you conversation, right. part of religion. And yep. so I think that is where it's almost like Hart's always saying that he he, he kind of says that they're having a different conversation. That's, and that's true. Like they're talking about two different things because of the depravities, you could say, of the English language or just – the fact that when you say god you mean so many different things it's hard to write a book where every time you say god you say the god that is believed by fundamentalist evangelicals oh, uh, all, all yeah. muslims left of center you know right of center or whatever yeah that's where yeah that's where i kind of get it. so that's my um and then dawkins though i'm never i've never been a huge dawkins fan i think if you'll if you read like hitch uh and, and and sam they're definitely more open to this like the numinous especially harris when he talks about uh, some of the evidence for—I mean—I don't want to misrepresent him—but talks about. I, I know he has conversations about like um uh, being psychic. He has oh, an interest yeah. in that. Especially and all waking sorts of up. this book,
1: Waking Up. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. seems more open to this sphere of um spirituality or, or something. Sure. Maybe non-material. But maybe that's a little too strong. I don't know. I haven't read a lot of Harris of late. I, you know, I kind of stopped. I, yeah. But oh, I, I, you, you know where I'm going with this. Yes, yeah, absolutely. exactly. Whereas like, if... whereas Dawkins is just this dogmatic, again, this particular onus on scientism, that science is the only way, man, like there's nothing else, you know. Well, what right. about history? How we argue abductively about history you know did certain events happen we don't use science for that i mean maybe you know yeah well,
0: he would he would I, redefine saying like analytics we use like analytical reasoning right analytical and, reasoning yeah, right, yeah right. that sort of things and yeah and i yeah so and then hi would definitely say you know i think he points to truth in his his life and his work through yeah. all sorts of things through friendship through it, it, he talks about life being meaningful and he doesn't say it's meaningful because of science but talks about the the wonder and the awe of the hubble oh, yeah. telescope and looking through it and yeah. friendship and literature and poetry and all these things and it's really hard you know i, I so it's yeah so he so dawkins I, he is a little bit more like uh there's it's harder to get to that part of him it might be there um but uh, yeah
1: and you know two of my other, i wrote a little note here from Hart, but this onus that religion has caused so much violence right but not thinking about maybe the 20th century horrors or the implications of atheism, but Hart says in atheist illusions, the vast majority of um, wars have been conducted under many gods, prophets, conquest, and power, nationalism, racial identity, or the greater good. But they seem to forget about that. They just go strictly to, you know, belief in God, this monotheism has just ruined the world. Like they will literally say um, the world would be better without religion, and that is such a premature claim. I mean, just read Nietzsche. Nietzsche was really critical of Christianity, but he certainly is—he might think that with the coming of the Übermensch, but he's very concerned about this notion that God is dead. It's just not a lot of strong thinking, you know, not a lot of sophisticated thinking on my behalf, you
0: know, from, yeah, from when it's... I've read them. Yeah, it, it, it certainly. I mean, when you are writing a book on why religion poisons everything, you are yeah. definitely going to highlight the, the right. bad aspects of right. it, and those are those are there to be found. I mean, and I agree with. I mean, and I know Hitch isn't always the world's most perfect historian, but you know he he does bring up a lot of good points. But you also can't ignore the intellectual and and truly moral achievements that were made in the west and we can't delude ourselves into thinking that all of those were made before the or after the enlightenment excuse me right. this was there there's a reason the enlightenment happened in christian christendom
1: right exactly and,
0: and not and not elsewhere in the world and so yes. i i so i i try to write a, a middle line there yeah. um you know to 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 a degree um and try to just you know to take things for to, for what they are, but uh, sure. yeah, you're you're gonna. I mean, Christianity, man. I it, it it's gave been us a so lot.
1: influential. I mean, if it, 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 again, Tom it Holland's has. book, Dominion, goes through all of this, what the world was like before Christianity, pre-Christian cultures, and someone who really has studied history and wants to be honest is not just going to brush Christianity away like it's just silly. Um, gullible belief it's not it's it's not at all it has utterly transformed the world you know i mean particularly sure. the West, and, right and
0: you know. also to consider it um uh, ridiculous before we did come up with things before darwin and before modern modern philosophy and modern science uh, i mean how could anyone not be a believer you know pre <laughs> pre even the 1800s almost like no, even the yeah. even you know if you talk to our founding the founding fathers um I have to be careful when I say our founding fathers, because not all my guests have been have been uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, Americans. Yeah. But um, our founding fathers, in this case, you know, they were most of them were not many of them were deists, they were. because that was the most rational position to take when you don't have this sort of uh, ideas to prop up, uh, you know, an, an atheism in a way. And to me,
1: atheism, deism is about the same thing, almost. Oh, it God. pretty much it's, is. I, I, I mean, yeah, but where is God know. under deism? Like, is he just somewhere else, and he's thinking? about us, he's like, man, I wonder how they're doing over there. I just, I'm not going to yeah. visit them anymore. <laughs> I'm the deadbeat dad. It's really interesting yeah. when you think about it that way, you know? Yeah, you know? it really is. It really is. Um, but um, one other point I wanted, oh, do you have something to say? No, go right ahead. Yeah, one other point I want to make is, um, you know, just another thing with the critique of the new atheism, Dawkins' incessant obsession with William Pally, right? He talks about, you know, this complexity and ascribes complexity to God, constantly you know god must be so complex complex but as you probably know under classical theism we hold that god is simple divine simplicity right Right. so that's just another point that i find problematic with dawkins i mean you know yeah
0: and his his line of reasoning to achieve that you know is this idea that if the universe is already so exponentially complex the the thing that must prop that up would have to be the even more complex and in that he almost means like mysterious or hard to understand or, co- you know, it's co- and it's true in a way, it would have to be something beyond, maybe not complex, but it would have yeah. to be a
1: biologist. He, so he has to do it like complexity that, yeah of <laughs> complexity.
0: He's, yeah, he's, you
1: know, you know he's God's done ontology, great work in biology. Yeah. If God's ontology is simple, he could do, you know, he could produce complex things, but it doesn't follow that he in himself is complex, right? We typically yes. say God is non-composite. He's not made of parts because if God was right. made of parts, that would require where those parts come from and you would just have a chain of, you know, this infinite regress of all of these parts and this complexity. So again, yeah. that's, that's not easy to wrap your head around. I have trouble understanding that as well, <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah. That's also part of my qualm with, uh, right. some of this is that it just becomes so abstract. And I, I, I mean, I do logically ap- appreciate yeah. what the, 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 re- the, the regression, of um, contingencies that Hart pursues in establishing this. It's not even prime mover and it's not even like intelligent design. Like he rejects those like terms. Oh, it's, yeah. it's something I've... beyond that. And I'm poor. I won't do a great job of explaining it because I haven't spent 40 years thinking about it like he has. But or if, if not longer, but I, I I, liked
1: it. I mean, I, I, I thought do. it was just
0: I, fairly, fairly reasonable. It's
1: one of my favorite arguments for God's existence. The contingency argument also, um, you know, the fact that consciousness is in the universe, arguments for consciousness, the intelligibility of the universe. Can we really make sense of the universe? Which it seems we, we can. We actually, you know, All scientists believe that, physicists, that we actually understand the universe. So those arguments, you know, I, I look to a cumulative case. You have many pieces of evidence that ultimately point, in my view, towards the position of theism. Uh, yeah. But. Yeah.
0: So... So, uh, well, let's see. We've gone by, we've run about an hour and a half. I uh, I did have another question for you. One of the things that I wanted to ask earlier, yeah. um, but maybe that could kind of wrap us up in a way. Sure. Uh, so a lot of people come to believe these things or have their own beliefs, like uh, but they don't start an Instagram page. They don't start writing about it. They don't start making YouTube videos about it. Like, uh, not everyone's a psycho like me, <laughs> and it, once yeah. an evangelical, yeah. apparently always an evangelical. Right? I, here yeah. I am, was like rejecting the idea of going to be a preacher, and then doing and living my life exactly as a preacher would live, like in front of a camera, (laughs) talking to people. So you can't, you know, part of it is you can't get away from who you are. Um, So I wanted to ask you, uh, what
1: has prompted you
0: to not go on this journey, but to share this journey with other people?
1: That's a great question. Well, first of all, I think it's really important. I think kind of like Heidegger's, you know, modernity is within the age of technology. They've really lost, um, they've lost focus on the mystery of being. Um, You know, you walk up to the average person and ask them about these questions, just, hey, why are you, why do you think you're here? What what is your meaning in life? They seem to give pretty superficial responses. Um, So that's really what inspired me to start You know, making YouTube videos and being on Instagram, and communicating with people daily. I mean, I get messages every day from people saying, hey, I read your stuff on Medium. I read your, or I'm sorry, I watched your videos on YouTube and they're really inspiring me. I've never thought about this. And that gives me inspiration. That makes me happy. Um, Because I want want us to think deeply about why we're here. You know, think about what it means to be a good person. uh, How we can derive meaning from life. even if you don't believe in God, that's okay. You know, that's, that's your choice. And maybe you just, the evidence isn't enough for you. That's okay. But it's still important to think about these things, no matter what religion you're a part of. Um, And I I would say the other reason is just because I enjoy it, right? I like to write, um, make videos and um, just really ponder the most pulsating questions of life.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good answer and I I completely agree that I think the uh like the elucidation of this mystery or pointing to the mystery uh, and and to the things around the mystery and thinking about it it tends to make people religious or non-religious to it makes them humbler it makes them more humble. Yeah. And it makes you more cautious in your speech and in your beliefs and in my experience, creates pe- makes people less dogmatic, which tends to be the problem with not only religion but a lot of non-religious Ooh. thought as well. And I, I, I think it, makes, it produces better, I'd like to think, better human beings. Not that I'm saying we're better human beings than everybody else. That's not <laughs> what I'm saying. But yeah. the act of endeavoring after these sorts of things over a lifetime, I think, can help you be a better person. Yeah. It can help you to be more understanding to be more open and hopefully like you said like you don't hold on these ideas of hell that i think are generally harmful like i went through all sorts of stuff As it, i used to lay in bed and cry because i thought certain family members weren't going to go to heaven because of their of the way i saw them act growing up yeah. i mean I, I i remember my cousin one time at a we were at a bible study thing and they like separated people by like who was going to heaven and who wasn't they were like you have to go you had to walk up they put tape on the ground and then you walk up to the the minister leader and whisper in their ear why like you should get into heaven and the correct answer was what the evangelical answer is which is i've repented of my sins been like baptized born again blah blah, blah. and they'd let you in well a lot of people kids didn't know what to say or they yes. had not been around church long enough and they're on the other side of that and i remember my cousin didn't get across And was like uh, distraught afterwards because she did not know what to say. And then to to live like that and to treat kids like that, that's why I think what you're saying is absolutely true.
1: Yeah, thanks, man. I mean, yeah, I just think that's horrible that you had to experience that. And I think that is a form of abuse, child abuse. You know, I I don't think – again, and this is the reason why I write and why I want to put content out there. People need to start thinking rationally about these things and differently and entertaining other avenues, just not reading the plain text and – uh, even even if it's not just reading plain text, you know I think there's a lot of emotional pathologies going on here. I think some people like to be a part, kind of quoting from heart, paraphrasing, like to be a part of this small little group where they feel morally superior. That you oh, know yeah. you're oh, yeah. you know you're not I, I'm morally I'm morally perfecting myself. You're just you know you're no good. And if I can't get you in this life, you're going to hell. You know so I think there's a lot of psychology going on in this, but. Yeah, it's really unhelpful to tell people, you know, Christian fundamentalist groups have visited my campus or college calling people horrific names, you know, telling them they're going to go to hell. And it's just not productive. You know, People need to remember that hell and sin are connected. Right. This is why I keep pressing. I I, I hope I don't sound redundant, but it's important to understand that you can be in hell right now. Right. Or you can be in heaven right now. Um, but oftentimes we do find ourselves in hell, you know, through constantly sitting, missing the mark, right? I, I talk to people that feel a little weird about that when I say, Hey, you might be sitting, they feel uncomfortable to be told that. But even if you're not a Christian, it doesn't matter. You're, it just means you need to, Hey man, you need to really look at your life and reassess it. And you might be missing the mark a little bit, man. You might need to change some things. There's nothing wrong with that, you know, and we should be trying to you know, change ourselves and walk in heaven and not walk in self-imposed misery that we call hell.
0: Yeah, I I think that's all absolutely true. Absolutely true. Well, hey, thanks so much for coming on. I knew this would be a good conversation as soon as I started reading your stuff and looking at it. And so, uh, yeah. yeah, I really appreciate it. Riley, thanks
1: for having me, man. I had a great time and I hope to be back soon. Also hope to have you on my channel as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. let's pick a date. We'll book it and do it. Sounds good, all take right. care, man. Thanks, Eric, you too.